Welcome to Why So Weekend, WISO's weekly radio magazine. I'm Jerry Kenny. Thanks so much for joining us. On today's program, we kick off a new series of Dayton Youth Radio stories. Veterans Voices and Poor Will's Almanac are back. And Jocelyn Robinson brings us a special segment from our Alone Together project. You can find out more about that on our Why So homepage. Up first, if you're looking for something fun to do while staying at home, Miami Valley Museums may have you covered. They've been beefing up their virtual products to keep patrons, both new and old, well-cultured while quarantined. Community Voices producer Jason Reynolds has been on a lot of online tours lately. The United States Air Force Museum in Beaver Creek is big, really big, over a million square feet. It's closed right now because of the coronavirus, but executive officer and digital curator Brian Carnes says you can still see almost all of it. Go through the whole museum with the virtual tour, and then with the uh, cockpit 360s, we can see inside over a uh, hundred aircraft. Cockpit 360 is a feature that puts you in the pilot seat, or the co-pilots, or the bombers, whatever you prefer. And with schools closed all over Ohio, educators are taking advantage of the free lessons that the Air Force Museum has put together. Our education department is really cranking them out right now. I mean, we have over a hundred lesson plans that link to the virtual tour. The lesson plans are surprisingly diverse too. They cover everything from the history of the Tuskegee Airmen to aviation-based algebra problems. They even have virtual scavenger hunts that require visitors to seek out specific aircraft, like a World War II bomber, with instructions like these. Go look at the Memphis Bell, and I need you to, at the Memphis Bell, show me where the bomb bay is at and zoom up into the virtual tour. You know, click the camera icon and post it to verify that that task has been met. And if you have Google Glass, you can take the tour almost completely hands-free. Now, if you prefer fine art instead of aircraft, you can take an online trip to the Taft Museum in Cincinnati, which has a pretty impressive virtual tour of notable works in their permanent collection. This 13th century ivory virgin and child has been described as the most important Gothic ivory in the United States. The Taft has a very active online presence, too. Elise Solomon is their director of learning and engagement. She's been working on interactive materials since the museum shut. I think probably my favorite thing that we're doing right now is our family fun days. So every Sunday we release a new art activity video where we uh, do an art project that uses materials that you can probably find at home or have easy access to. In recent videos, Solomon has explained how to make a fancy lace collar like you might see in a Rembrandt painting and how to make sidewalk chalk paint from just three ingredients. Water, cornstarch, and food coloring. In addition to those Sunday fun day activities, the Taft has also partnered with a group called Urban Sketchers to offer free online drawing lessons of a more serious nature on Mondays. Artist Robin Carnes gives the first lesson. Seeing in shapes is the best way to approach any sketch. Solomon says it's a great way to both analyze and make art while social distancing. It's a really accessible um, way to create art at home because you probably have a pencil and you probably have a piece of paper. And I love that idea of bringing in other community partners to talk about the collection in a different way because everybody's going to have their own viewpoint. And I think that's what makes art so special. Ohio's stay-at-home order has forced the Taft to experiment. But Solomon says that's a good thing. And they'll be keeping some of their new online components even when the museum reopens. The Taft isn't alone in its efforts. The Dayton Art Institute has Tiny Thursdays, which provide kids with new online art projects every week. They also offer some deep dives into work in DAI's permanent collection with a web feature called What is a Masterpiece? 
Jerry Smith is DAI's chief curator. It's kind of us pointing out some details that you might miss if you're seeing it in person. So when you do come back to the museum, you'll be able to look for those things as well. What is a Masterpiece features explanations of dozens of great works in DAI's collection. It explains how they were created. It gives background info on artists, social context, kids' activities, and expert opinion by local artists and art historians. And if you really want to sneak out of the house, DAI's Sculpture Garden is opened and boasts a pretty beautiful view of downtown Dayton. You can come and walk the grounds uh, as long as there's social distancing, of course. And until you can really go into a museum, you can always visit from your couch. For Culture Couch at WYSO, I'm Jason Reynolds. Culture Couch is made possible by a generous grant from the Ohio Arts Council. And likewise, if self-quarantining and Ohio's stay-at-home order have helped you get through your to-do list sooner than expected and you're looking for other activities, Premier Health has some suggestions. The healthcare provider has put together a 30-day self-care challenge to help people cope through the COVID-19 crisis. The challenge includes daily journaling suggestions and self-affirmations. The challenge also includes ideas on paring down social media accounts, health and wellness ideas, and ideas to connect to friends, family, and co-workers. You can find more tips on the PremierHealth.com website. The coronavirus. Coronavirus. The coronavirus pandemic. The coronavirus. COVID-19. There is no American who is immune from this disease. Every day and every one of us and what we do matters. This week on Dayton Youth Radio, we have a new series of stories from Kettering Fairmont High School students. They were eager to talk about life under quarantine, and so their teacher, Laura Hutchins, called us up and our collaboration began. Today, we'll hear from Imani Reed and Molly Mitchell, both juniors at Kettering Fairmont. Last month, I was going to have a sleepover with my best friend, Gianna, and another friend, but it got canceled because of this whole COVID-19 stay-at-home order. My name is Imani Reed. I'm 17 years old. I live in Kettering, Ohio with my mom, Janice Reed, and my sister, Ajasila, and my 63-year-old grandma, whose name is Rebecca Reed. With my grandma being at a higher risk of catching this virus, she's on total lockdown. We won't let her go anywhere because we can't lose her, at least not like this. I found out about school being closed during break by watching the special report with my grandma. This is going down in history. At first, I was very happy at the time because everyone at school was really starting to drain me emotionally. I deal with bullying very heavily. Being in the house as a teen with the people you love and just being able to binge watch TV, work out, eat when you're bored, and just relax at home with the exception of school is pretty cool. It's given me more time to sleep and it gave me a kind of peace. But part of it is kind of bittersweet because I kind of miss school. There were rumors at my school saying our prom was canceled. It was completely upsetting to me to find out that these rumors were true. The people I talk to the most would be my closest friends. There's my 18-year-old friend Constellation and my 16-year-old friend Gianna. I call them both my babies. This is the longest that we've been apart. I miss them so much, and they're the ones that have been helping me get through this, and I know that they miss me just as much. 
My name is Molly Mitchell, and I am a junior at Kettering Fairmont High School. I found out about the school's closing at the very end of the day, the day before spring break started. I was with my English class, and I looked down at my phone to see that my friend Tristan had texted me with a screenshot of the official announcement from Governor DeWine saying that schools would be closed for the next three weeks. I announced it to my class, and we all cheered. Woo! Leaving school that day, we were all elated about having a three-week break. I noticed that my parents' mood toward the school shutdown was very different. They kept saying, we'll see, with a sort of grim expression whenever I asked to do something later in the week. I was supposed to go to San Francisco for my break. It was a trip I'd been planning since this past July, but my parents had decided to postpone my trip because they were very paranoid about the virus. After my San Francisco trip got canceled, Northern California was put on lockdown, so I guess it was the right call, otherwise I'd be stuck in California right now. I spent the rest of the day sulking around the house and texting my friends to let them know that I had to cancel plans we'd been making. I was really upset. I understood why it was important that we were self-quarantining. I knew it was the right and smart thing to do, but that did not mean I had to like it. (laughs) That night, my friends Grace and Michael felt bad that I was stuck at home and came by with a smoothie and some pasta they had made themselves. It was delicious. (laughs) We sat in front of my yard, six feet apart, of course, and talked for like two hours. Since our prom was canceled, some of my friends and I were talking about having some sort of backyard prom where we can all hang out and play music and eat snacks and dance in someone's backyard. As upset as I am about everything, like for instance, I've missed three birthdays and I always try to go all out for them for my friends, I also have to acknowledge how fortunate I am here. It's not my senior year. I got to finish out my swim season, and me and my family all seem to be very healthy for the time being. I feel awful for anyone who doesn't have those things, but I'm still allowed to be upset by what's happening to and around me. It is a rough, historic, and awful time for everyone, and we have to stick together. That was our first story of Teens in Quarantine, produced by Imani Reed and Molly Mitchell, both juniors at Fairmount High School. Special thanks to Laura Hutchins, their teacher. For Dayton Youth Radio, this is Basine Blunt. Find more Dayton Youth Radio on our website at wyso.org. I'm Jerry Kenny. Coming up later in the program, we've got Veterans Voices. First, people are discovering some new ways to stay connected during the coronavirus pandemic. In Yellow Springs, a talented young man is using his gift to bring his neighbors together. For WYSO's Alone Together Project, here's Jocelyn Robinson. I'm Jocelyn Robinson. And I live in the village of Yellow Springs, tucked in the corn and soybean fields of southwest Ohio. The rhythms of our small community have quieted and slowed with social distancing. And while we're keeping safe, we're keeping apart. Many of us are missing shared activities, like movies, eating out, even grocery shopping or neighborly chats over yard work. But on a perfect April afternoon, 
on a day of blue sky and sunshine, of birdsong and spring peepers, my neighborhood did come together for a moment for a concert performed by a young musician with a mission. Rilo Oberg is 14 years old. He's been playing piano for most of his life. On this day, he set up his portable keyboard and amp in my carport on our quiet street. About a dozen neighbors are listening from their own lawns and porches. We're alone, but together. Before the stay-at-home order, Rilo gave weekly concerts for residents at the local long-term care facility. And then when the coronavirus canceled that for obvious reasons, I, I, I just felt like I was, I felt like A, I was kind of missing something, and B, I saw that there was just so much change in everything. I figured that it would be comforting to both other people and me if I just came out and played. Now he's giving short performances in neighborhoods all over the village. Rilo's dad, Eric Oberg, posts his son's availability on a community-wide Facebook page and schedules the driveway concerts. So far, Rilo's performed eight recitals, playing an eclectic repertoire of folk tunes, Chopin, the Beatles, and his own compositions. Mama Lena serves as roadie, delivering Rilo and his gear to concert venues in the family minivan and helping him set up and tear down. She's his number one fan, too. I'm really proud of him, but I also know he he's always worked so hard at his playing, and it's um, something he loves. I was so proud that when he started playing at Friends Care on Sundays, and then when he couldn't do that anymore, that he was willing to start coming out and playing like this. Um, I have to admit, I, I feel so lucky that we just get to sit and listen to him play, and especially on a beautiful day like today. It's just a really nice thing to get to do, I think. In these scary and uncertain times, it is a really nice thing to get to do. Thanks for playing for us, Rilo. Thank you. I have one more piece for today. This is What a Wonderful World. This is one of my favorite pieces, and I always like to end these performances with this song because... Just a reminder that no matter how bad this whole pandemic gets, you still live in a great place, so I'm going to try it.
that from our ongoing project, Alone Together. We're looking for your stories as well. Leave us a voicemail on our listener line, 937-769-1374, or email a voice memo from your cell phone to alonetogether at wyso.org. I'm Jerry Kenny. This is WISO Weekend. In wartime, there are celebrity generals like Norman Schwarzkopf, infamous adversaries like Saddam Hussein, and the men and women who carry out their orders, and at times they cross paths. Today on Veterans Voices, Air Force veteran Tracy Cooper of Huber Heights shares his story. I went to Desert Shield, Desert Storm, and uh, I arrived in Tobuk, Saudi Arabia, September the 1st of 1990 for Operation Desert Shield. General Schwarzkopf came to visit. They uh, let us know, cause, you know, to make sure we had the jets all cleaned. We used to write things on the fuel tanks. And the, so the wing commander had us take all the writing off off the tanks, you know, because Schwarzkopf's. So I'm standing there, and I had that 33rd Dickey thing you wear, you know. Uh, it, it's like it's got your patch. It goes underneath. It's a scarf, basically. So I'm all starch and sharp, you know, polished boots, staining tall. And he said, do you mind if I call you Coop? My last name is Cooper. And I was like, no, sir, call me anything you want. And uh, he goes, what was this? Ri- why is there no writing on the fuel tanks? And I said, well, because he told us to take it off. <laughs> he goes, give me your marker. And he said, and Schwarzkopf walked up to my fuel tank. He said, put this one in your acid home, General S. <clears throat> what a lot of people, civilians especially, have a hard time understanding is, you know, you, you might be pretty tight when you're in boot. But when you get out and then you deploy – and you go into combat, that brother and sisterhood are a lot more um, in-depth, a lot more bonding. Uh, Barry Mueller, we call him Harry. He was a wild man. He's, he's retired. He lives in Italy now. And it was so funny. For some reason during Desert Shield and Desert Storm, women would send him underwear. And he would tack them up on the wall. I don't know how many pairs he had, but there was a lot, right? And they were showing General Schwarzkopf around, you know, the compound and showing him our rooms. But they walked, they went into Harry's room, and he had his headset on. And he was in his underwear playing the air guitar on top of his bed with all these women's underwear. And General Schwarzkopf just looked at him and said, Sergeant, how are you? And Harry just looked at him and said, not good, not good. <laughs> he was just... I'll never forget that. That was so funny. That was Air Force veteran Tracy Cooper. He told his story at WYSO as part of StoryCorps' Military Voices Initiative, which visited the Miami Valley last summer. Veterans Voices on WYSO is presented by Wright Pat Credit Union with additional support from CareSource. This story was edited by Tony Holloway and Will Davis. Well, in case you forgot or the news got lost in an avalanche of COVID-19 information over the last month or so, Ohio's almost entirely mail-in primary election is coming up on Tuesday, April 28th. Yesterday was the deadline to request an absentee ballot, and mail-in ballots must be postmarked by April 27th. You can also return your absentee ballot in person to your Board of Elections before 7.30 p.m. on Election Day. WISO's Lila Goldstein spoke with Dr. Lee Hanna, a professor of political science at Wright State University, about the impact of the coronavirus on this election and some of the issues on the ballot in Greene County. Well, thanks for joining us today, Professor Hanna. Thank you. Thanks for having me. 
So let's just start off. The big news is Ohio is now having an all-mail-in election due to the coronavirus. How will that affect some of the local elections and voter turnout in the region? Sure. I mean, more than anything else, it just brings a, a, an entirely new level of uncertainty. I don't think we fully understand yet if there's a, you know, a disproportionate type of voter that is following through on the, the mail-in request versus one that is not. And then, of course, we have uncertainties about the current conditions on the ground and how that may affect the way voters think about this election. And historically, in times of of economic crisis, either at the personal or the the macro level, uh, people become more pessimistic about the economy and less likely to take on any new expenses that they can control. The one benefit of absentee balloting is that you can actually do a little more research And so I think there are times where you might, um, election day comes, you just run over, you've been following the presidential race, you know, you've been following a a primary or two, but often you might find yourself surprised by something on the second, third page of the ballot um, and not really know what to do. And, you know, now you can Google it, right? So, so there may be at least some, some opportunities to, uh, to be more informed on the fly uh, during this election. And, and, you know, how that falls with, with actual vote choices is impossible to know. Mm-hmm. And looking specifically to Greene County, there are several school levies on the ballot. Voters in Bellbrook Sugar Creek School District will decide on a $5.7 million levy to pay for school expenses. And voters actually rejected a levy last year. What's at stake for the school system and the taxes of residents? The school system has tried to make it very clear in terms of uh, of what the costs are, what types of programs would, would be cut if they don't get this uh, levy passed, um, what types of personnel might be cut. As far as the, the cost of the levy, I believe the, the millage works out to about $200 per $100,000 valuation on a home. Um, so that's what voters are looking at. Of course, we have the same concerns in terms of, of individuals who uh, now feel increased economic insecurity. And you know, the last thing they want to do is to agree to part with any more of their, their resources. Also, we now have teachers coming to the parents' you know, homes <laughs> um, via Zoom, you know, via course materials and everything else. But this might be a moment where people realize the, the importance and the significance and the, the value of good teachers and good education. Um, and perhaps that could lead to a, to a bit of a, of a rally. Um, but it's, it's, it's really hard to know, of course. Right. Residents of Greene County will also be voting on a proposed sales tax increase to pay for a new county jail. How did the county land on the cost of the facility, and what are opponents saying? Under Ohio law, the way that you uh, finance prisons and jails is through sales taxes rather than property taxes. Now, the argument for the the jail and for building it is that there's much evidence from the, the sheriff's office that the jail itself is really falling apart. The opponents have come out with a, a message of build better, not bigger. That's been kind of their, their catchphrase. And they argue that they have not considered mental health services, drug treatment, probation. They're pushing you know, hard against this, this message and, and saying that, that 
we may very well need a, a jail, but not this one, you know, not the one he's put before us. And, you know, this may be an effort by the sheriff's office, uh, you know, much like Bellbrook, maybe you put your first offer out there, you see how it plays. Um, and then perhaps they come back in 2021 with uh, either a less expensive uh, proposal or one that considers some of these, these programs that the opponents want to see prioritized. Well, thanks so much for your time and for speaking with me today. Thank you so much, Lila. This was great. WISO's Lila Goldstein speaking with Dr. Lee Hanna, a professor of political science at Wright State University. In-person voting for Ohioans with disabilities and those without a home mailing address will still take place on April 28th. You can find more information on voting in this election at ohiosos.gov. with Poor Will's Almanac. I'm calling from home on my uh, landline because of the COVID-19 lockdown. It is the fourth week of middle spring and it's the first week of the cows switching their tails moon. It's also the first week of the sun in Taurus. And it's the week of Earth Day, which is tomorrow, April 22nd. I recently came across my old copy of the Bach Flower Remedies, and browsing through its pages, I was once again attracted to the ideas of the early 20th century homeopath, Dr. Edward Bach, who believed that nature was the source of all healing, and that the essence of certain plants and flowers could, together with the right attitude and the body's own immune system, help to manage disease. Then I went through the herbals I had collected over the years and I ruminated on alternative thinking, more ancient thinking really, about the resources of the world around me. Such a practical application of nature has often has a, a new age tint about it, something of the occult or hokey that is associated with belief in fairies and gnomes and angels, creatures that are marginalized in most serious conversation. The paranormal, faith, energy work, and the vibrational powers of metal, stones, plants, and icons are, are not important dimensions of Western culture. But the philosophy of Bach's flower remedies is a reminder that harmony with nature and the benefits of that harmony require more than science and technology. The fundamental principle of conservation and green action is, in my feeling, love. 
If you don't love something, you won't be moved to nurture or to save it. Personal connection and feeling and fantasy in regards to the natural world all build the foundation of communion with it and service to it. And they also open options for receiving more benefits from it. This is Bill Felker with Poor Will's Almanac. I'll be back again next week with notes for the first week of late spring. In the meantime, think about whether you really relate to any portion of the natural world around you. What is that part and why? What can you do for it? And what can it give to you? Bill Felker contributes to newspapers nationwide, including the Yellow Springs News. Bill resides in Yellow Springs. Poor Will's Almanac is also available as a podcast at WYSO.org. And that's it for this edition of Wyso Weekend on 91.3 WYSO. I'm Jerry Kenny. Thanks for joining us. Programming Note, Culture Couch, Dayton Youth Radio, and Veterans Voices were all created at the Eichelberger Center for Community Voices at WYSO. Find out more on our website, WYSO.org. We'll be back next Sunday at 10, now on Wyso. Take a seat with Vic McCunis inside the book nook.